Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I'm Ken Levine, your podcast host. As always, this is part two, my two-part interview with Preston Beckman, who is a major force in network programming for over 35 years. He was at NBC during the must-see TV era, also spent many years at Fox. He is now a media consultant. If you missed last week's episode after you listen to this one, go back and check that out. This week, we get into pilots. We get into network programming and streaming programming algorithms and the possible impact of work stoppages in the industry. Fascinating guest, Preston Beckman. Part two coming up right now on Hollywood and Levine. I noticed that Netflix commissioned a pilot and this is very new for them because Netflix normally will pick up a show and just send it to series. And they're making a pilot. And I find it interesting that anytime a new form of delivering entertainment comes along, they always try to be different and cutting edge. And over time, it seems they all drift back to the central broadcast model because it works. Talk a little bit about pilots and the the value in pilots as opposed to, oh, we're just going to sign this guy up and go make 10 shows. Right. Well, I will. Um, if Before I um, left Twitter... I would always, you, know, <laughs> you uh, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I would always. Um, whenever there'd be stories like this, you know, I would always say all television regresses to the mean, and I always, yeah, always believe that. That that's what I meant when we started this conversation about technology driving things, as opposed to the business of entertainment driving things. Um, you've seen over the years the streamers starting to look more and more like. Um, networks. It's been the growth in fast channels, uh, where, where which are advertisers supported. Netflix now is advert. They're all becoming advertisers supported. Why? Because they can't sustain themselves with this subscription model. You know. Mm-hmm. So uh, you also 
in addition to, and I'll get to the pilots in a second, in addition to um, making pilots, it used to be Netflix doesn't cancel anything. These streamers never cancel the yeah, show. Yeah, well, now they you cancel know? a ton of shows. Right. Now, now, after one year, every day you look at the Hollywood Reporter and Variety and you see how many shows don't make it beyond the first year. Gee, that, that sounds familiar. And by the way, while that's happening, I think you're seeing the, net, the broadcast networks being more patient in their shows because they realize, you know, what's the point of constantly trying to turn the schedule? As far as pilots go, I think, um, you know, what, what a, I'm a strong believer in pilots and pilot testing. I know we might disagree about that. No, but, I, I believe in pilot testing as a tool, yeah, not exactly. as the deciding factor. But, but again, I'm sure we've had this conversation. It's never, I think there's a misperception that, that network executives would sit there and say, we're only going to put our highest testing shows on the air. That's just not what happens. Um, I've seen most shows that get on the air don't test <clears throat> strong. They test kind of in the middle somewhere. Um, what I do know is that, and this is probably why it's valuable for Netflix to test some shows, is if a show tests really bad, I've never seen that show succeed. And I'm, I'm talking about what really about bad. Seinfeld? Didn't Seinfeld? Say, that's why I said, and I'm talking about really bad. Seinfeld was medi. It was medium. Seinfeld okay. was that. Most there's always the impression that Seinfeld was like the worst testing show in history. No, no, no. Interesting. Most shows, by the way, I'm not saying that it was a strong. It wasn't definitely wasn't a strong testing pilot. But if you look at the Seinfeld test and you look at the Friends test, they weren't that far apart. So the the art of testing a pilot, and you know, when I was at Fox, I had research reporting to me, and the head of research, a good friend of mine, Melva Benoit, and I would approach pilot testing not as this is strong, this is weak, this is moderate. We would approach it as everything's going to series. Okay, so we're testing this show, assuming it goes to series. Oh, we're going to tell you what you need to do or what we believe based on the testing you need to do in order for the show to succeed in series. So we would say, and and so sometimes we would have some really good, well, good testing shows where we would say, you know, there's really not a lot, you know, here's, here's the strengths, stay with the strengths. But then there were some shows where we say, well, look, if you want the show to succeed, here are the four things you need to address. And if you don't address them, fine. That's your choice, but we think by addressing them, you will have a stronger show. So we would never, uh, we would never go into the the executive room with recommendations for what you should pick up, what you shouldn't pick up. So that's not our job. It's my job a little bit as a scheduler, but it wasn't our job in research. Our job was here's what we're hearing from the audience, and here's what will make this a successful show. And um, and here are the th- here are the obstacles that you have to overcome. Okay, uh, every once in a while we would get a pilot that was so terrible that we would <laughs> we would just say, you know, guys, you know, uh, especially if the executives were very high on it, <laughs> you know, and we just said we got to bust this bubble. It's by, and by the way, they'd still put it on the air and it would fail. 
but at least we would say, guys, you know, danger, Will Robinson. Don't know. And I remember, by the way, the, the opposite is also the case. Every once in a while, you would get a high testing pilot and um, you would say, mm, nah, you know, I don't think so. Uh, I remember there's one at Fox, there was one comedy that um, we we tested and it was very high testing. And the head of research uh, said, don't put this on because the whole story's been told in, in, in the pilot. In the pilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mm-hmm. told the story's been told. So there's no story to follow. You basically did a really nice 30 minute drama here or comedy, whatever it was. And it's, it's concluded. And uh, they went, screw you. They ordered six and um, it never made it. The, the episode two never got on the air. Episode one never got in the air because <laughs> they looked at it and they said, gee, they were right. There's no, what's going on here? What are we supposed to be talking about? So I think, um, you know, uh, Netflix is smart in, in doing that. I, I, I'm not sure what show it is, but maybe it's a show that's going to be expensive. And, um, you know, you go, if it's going to be expensive, we better make sure before we invest in this that, that there's something here. Meanwhile, the broadcast networks have done very few pilots this year. And again, is that just cost cutting or is that them saying, you know what, Um, we'd rather just keep the schedule and let people find these shows, even though their ratings are mediocre, than to bring on six new shows? Yeah, I think that has a lot. Look, when you, I look at the, I still look at the ratings every day and everything is in the, on broadcast networks, 0.2 to 0.5 stage. <laughs> you know, I mean, I remember. It's unbelievable. I know, everything. I'm talking about 1849, uh, which is, which is still the, um, the currency. The only thing that counts. Yeah. Yeah. When you're, when you're in that 0.2 to 0.5 stage, um, I, you, I believe, you know, you hold on to, uh, as much as you can, because you know that the more change you make, you're going to start to get into those 0.1s, <laughs> 0.0s. So I think that, for, that's what I'm saying. In a way, broadcast, the broadcast networks, are becoming what people thought the streamers were going to be, which is very conservative, uh, very consistent. Uh, but again, they're limited in the number of hours they can program. You're also seeing, I think, um, for a while there, the, the broadcast networks were starting to fall into the trap of making fewer episodes. You know, we'll make seven episodes or eight episodes. And now right. I think you're starting to see it coming back to, well, there's nothing wrong with making 22 of these puppies (laughs) because, you know, because, uh, or 24 in the case of comedy sometimes, uh, because uh, people will watch them and it's harder to repeat, you know, repeats do nothing. So I might as well just make what people want to see. So even they're coming, I think they're coming around again to let's make more of what works. The irony is, you know, for years, uh, creative people would say, we don't want to be on the networks. We want the creative freedom of going to Netflix and Hulu and Apple. And now 
the networks are saying, okay, you go to Apple and you can make six episodes, or you can come here to NBC and make 22. Right. <laughs> All of yeah. a sudden, uh, yeah. NBC is looking pretty good to you. Yeah. I, well, that, again, that's what, what we've been saying is that, you know, the what worked 20 years ago still works. <laughs> uh, it just, uh, you know, that's why uh, I find I still find it humorous that so many people who work for the streamers started the broadcast networks, you know, uh, because I think eventually you come around to saying, you know, experience does matter. And understanding how broadcasting works matters. Uh, I believe that people who schedule broadcast, net, broadcast networks have a role on streamers. There's a good friend of mine who's over at Netflix who was a scheduler. So slowly but surely, they're starting to see that there's a lot of a lot of the skill sets that broadcasters have are transferable to to the streaming services. So, and by the way, the streaming. Stuff on the streaming services that's successful, that's original to them, looks like network shows now. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I, I mean, I just watched, uh, my wife and I just finished watching The Night Agent, uh, which is Ryan, Ryan um, not Ryan, uh, Sean Ryan. Uh, Sean Ryan, yeah, yeah, from The Shield. Uh, right, and I'm mm-hmm. watching this show, and I keep turning to my wife and saying, you know, putting aside the language, this show could be on any broadcast network. Uh show just started on um Netflix called The Diplomat, which we haven't gotten to yet. Carrie yeah, Russell. yeah. No, it's 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 kind of faux West- Aaron Sorkin. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So slowly but surely and, and you know, multi camera, you see more multi camera shows on the streaming services. My daughter works, my daughter and and her husband partner uh, work on the Upshaws. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it's uh, you're starting to see again that the streamers are going, well, you know, maybe maybe people want to see stuff that they're comfortable with, and maybe people want to see stuff that feels like stuff they've already seen, and what are we trying to do here? And, right. you know, Why yeah, reinvent the wheel? Exactly. And, you know, or, or rather than reinventing the wheel, just make it look better, make it look attractive, but don't change, don't make it a square. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And um, so more and more of what we watch, and we do watch a lot of stuff on stream services, looks to me like broadcast shows. And uh, so it's all, again, coming together and and a lot of the and it's it's i hopefully we're almost through with the sexy stage until until the next way of delivering shows come along and then we'll be back to uh streamers yeah you know (laughs) that's that's yesterday well one thing you know you mentioned how you're able to measure success on a broadcast network by ratings which result in higher rates for commercials etc so you could be a showrunner and your show airs on tuesday night and you can read the ratings on wednesday and you have a good idea as to whether or not you can buy a house or get a new line of profession but with netflix and the streamers there are all these algorithms that the shows have to hit and for the most part the creative staff doesn't know what those algorithms are so they're just shooting at moving targets do you have some idea of what the kind of algorithms might be that 
Netflix is using to to judge shows? Um, I can guess a little bit. I, as I said, I have friends, but I don't ask them these kind of questions. <laughs> I don't want them to feel I'm I'm prying. Um, I think it really comes down to uh, the number of how long you stay with something, how many episodes you're willing to watch, and how quickly you watch them would be some of some of the the metrics that they use. I mean, a lot of people uh, because because there's so much will graze and will watch a show. I think a lot of, there's there's a chunk of people who say I'm uh, they reject it quickly. And they don't come back. So I think it's 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 again it's about how many minutes of a show, how long, and um, how quickly you watch it. Because I think they know that if you don't watch a show quickly, that um, you're probably not engaged in it. The the, the big thing now. Is, when you say quickly, do you mean from when it premieres or? Binging. Yeah. In other words, how bingeable is a show? Oh, I see. So in yeah. other words, do you watch an episode and then you watch another episode a week later or you watch an episode and you say, oh, this is really good. And you start watching, watching two that. a night and three yes. a night the next night. I see. Yeah, I think uh, I think that what what happens is there's so much. And I, I mean, I, I'm sure it's true of you. You know, sometimes you'll watch something. You go, that's pretty good. But you have seven random shows you're watching, mm-hmm. and you know, you like about two months later, you go, "Oh yeah, you know, eh, eh. if I was really interested in it, I would have probably checked it out." So I think that uh, what's what I find interesting is again one of the things that the streamers are doing, uh, which was part of broadcast culture forever, is you're seeing more and more shows dropping weekly, as opposed to all at once which originally was why, you know, you wanted Netflix or why you wanted these. I think Netflix is still pretty much a, I drop it all at once um, platform. But I mean, I find now that uh, I'm watching certain shows like Mrs. Maisel and Ted Lasso and, and a couple other shows. I have to remember that they were on every week. And uh, sometimes I forget they're on or sometimes I forget what day they dropped. Uh, but I'm finding that's also a way to keep these shows in the um, in the zeitgeist longer, as opposed to I'll drop something and within a week I'm onto something else. Um, but I think I think that they they're looking for engagement uh, as much as anything, and um, yeah, that's that's what I think it is 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 your commitment to a show, and if it's bingeable, then they'll maybe order another season see i'm one of those those people that basically takes advantage of both and that i won't start a show until there's three or four episodes in and and i've heard good things about it or there's something interesting about the show that motivates me to watch it and if i like it then I'll watch the three or four episodes over two nights and then I'm hooked. So then it's like, all right, I know every Friday is going to be another episode of the Jennifer Garner show. So, right. so uh, I'll watch that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I find, I find that uh, I have a list of shows that I think my wife and I will enjoy and it gets longer and longer and longer. So at some point, and so I'll always start with the most recent, you know, because uh, I figure, okay, if I haven't gotten to something, maybe I'll get to it down the road. And then at that point, it becomes word of mouth and things like that. So in other words, uh, like we have not started The Diplomat yet. I'm hoping we will. But by the time we get to that, maybe what we do in the shadows is back. Maybe Reserv- Reservation Dogs is back. You know, all of a sudden there are these other shows that you go, well, I have to watch them. And the diplomat just like fades into the sunset. You know, right. then, you know, then maybe if there's a second season, I go, well, and there probably will be. I go, okay, well, maybe I'll, I'll try and jump on board, you know. What's interesting is what's considered a hit. I mean, Ted Lasso, if you live in Los Angeles or you live in New York, uh, Ted Lasso is, is a huge hit. But when you do the math, it's on Apple, which is arguably not the most major of, uh, of streamers. So you figure, well, what percentage of the country can even access Ted Lasso? And of those people who do subscribe to Apple TV, how many watch Ted Lasso? And, you know, I think when you, you crunch the numbers, you go, well, wait a minute. This, this is like maybe a drop in the bucket. In terms of an audience, I think yeah. Well, two things. One is we're dealing with TV critics, you know, and TV critics are the most out of touch people on the planet with with the, the public. Uh, so they, um, I was even talking. You know, I'll give you an example in politics. You know, when you think about how many people watch Tucker Carlson every night, less than one percent of the country watches Tucker Carlson, right? Mm-hmm. How much attention or space was Tucker Carlson given when Rupert fired him? About 50% of all media was about the firing of Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. Okay? Why? Because they're talking about themselves. Okay? You know, the, the New York Times, whatever, they're talking about themselves. Right. It's the media. Yeah. The same thing yeah. with TV critics. TV critics talk to each other. They create a world that they like, not that you that that the average person likes. So it's it's a very uh, so that's part of it is that it's it's a it's a manufactured hit. It's a it's a perception among a small group of people. The second thing is for Apple, it's a prestige show. So it's kind of like what House of Cards was, or Orange is the New Black was for Netflix or Mad Men was for AMC mm-hmm. back in the day. It wasn't mm-hmm. that people watched it. It was that it was getting the attention as some kind of quality show, and therefore Apple makes quality shows. I mean, that's what... It was know, Cheers the first year, if we're yeah. being honest. Right. Because yeah, we never had the ratings. Yeah. Well, it was, yeah. remember we used to call it NBC. We would call it the quality shows on NBC. You know why? Because we, you know it was always it was the the grand t- tinker first be best then be first kind of philosophy of programming. So I think that um, a show like Ted Lasso 
says to the world out there, well, maybe I should subscribe to Apple TV. Maybe there are other shows, you know, on Apple TV. So it's really not about the numbers. It's about the perception, which is fueled by people who write about shows. Right. Meanwhile, they're getting big ratings over at Netflix or whatever with Squid Games, right? <laughs> and Sharknado is getting big numbers. So <laughs> yeah, before I, mean, I before we go, yes. uh, again, crystal ball time. Uh, we are recording this the end of April. And as we sit here, the contract between the Writers Guild and the producers uh, is up May 1st. Should there be a strike, how much effect do you think it will have on things? Because it seems to me now that, like you say, Netflix has so much product and all these, you know, mega corporations that even if they take a loss, you know, Discovery Warner just said, okay, screw it, Batgirl, we'll just, you know, eat a hundred million dollar thing. How how much effect do you think it will have? Oh, I hate to, you know, I'm sorry, Ken. I hate to, yeah. I want to say something, and you know, uh, I think it will have an effect. Uh, I think um, it'll have. I hope a, so. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. On the broadcast networks. I mean, the pilots have been shot, uh, but so. I kind of remember when I was at Fox and there was a writer's strike, it was somewhere in like September. It was somewhere when once the season had begun. So it was a real, it it hurt. I mean, it it hurt and it didn't. It actually was, I shouldn't say it was extremely profitable (laughs) for, uh, for Fox. And also we had American Idol at the time. So we could just expand the number of hours. And um, I think, um, Short term, I hope they settle it quickly. I do too. And I hope that um, the mistake that I felt the writers made back when I was at Fox was not to um, realize how important the internet streaming, how all those things were going to, what they were going to evolve into. I mean, when that strike was settled, I kind of scratched my head a little bit. And said, I think they've left a lot on the table. I think they've kind mm-hmm. of ignored the future and don't see how where we are now, you know, how how they're kind of not accounting for for a lot of the ways that their work is going to be used. So I hope that it's quick and I hope that there's a correction of, you know, of, of here's how we use what what you make create for us and um I think long term, I mean, if the strike goes on beyond, you know, if you get into August, September, if it starts soon and, you know, the summer goes by, that's been, then there's a problem. Well, I also think with the director's contract and the actor's contract coming up the end of June, I think if you have all three unions going out, then, then that just puts a halt to everything. Right. And and um we it can't just all be reality TV. And it can't all be international shows. So uh look, I you know 
I, I hope for everybody's sake that um, wise heads prevail and, 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 and it's important and the writers get what they deserve, or at least are, are, are understand the ways in which, um, th- which I don't think they did the last time their, their, their products being used. And, and that's, that's how I feel about it. I don't, I don't want to say anything in, <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. But again, you know, it's it's an issue that may come up and may cause upheaval. Um, you and I have both been through many writers guild strikes mm-hmm. and work stoppages in different ways. In in different different ways. ways. Yeah. Yeah. I was picketing you. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to how to fill fifteen hours of a schedule. And, and, and my and my uh, my. The head of Fox at the time was no help. I used to, I used to say to him, Peter, uh, can you give me some idea about when this is going to be resolved so I can figure? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So it was, it was scary there. Well, that's we, another, we, that's another difference. You know, back in the old days, you know, we'd go on strike, and when Lou Wasserman of Universal would go, okay. That's enough. <laughs> then the strike would be settled in two days. Yeah, right. I don't right. know if we have a Lou Wasserman <laughs> now. Probably. We need it. We need a Lou Wasserman. Right. Preston, and, and, come out of retirement. No, uh, I'm. No. <laughs> I've, I've, I've given. I've given my pint of blood. I'm. I'm. I'm through. <laughs> you don't want to run show business. No, that's not me. That's not. I've never been. I. I couldn't wait. You know, there's only three ways you leave. They. They either throw you out, they carry you out, or you walk out with some shred of dignity. And I chose the third way <laughs> and, ne- <laughs> and never look back. <laughs> never. Yeah, me too. Uh, Preston, this has, as always, been such a joy, so informative. Uh, you are one of my favorite guests. Thank you, Ken. Thank you so much for Take coming care. on again. Take care. Okay, you are up to date now on the current state of television. Probably by next Thursday, it'll all change again, but at least at the moment, you are up to date. Our thanks to Preston Beckman, also to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, Bruce and Jason Miller, and I uh, I want to plug a couple of plays I have going this month. If you are in Elmhurst, Illinois... Uh, the Green Man Troupe uh, is doing my play, Love and Tear Gas. Tickets are available. And if you are in beautiful uh, Inglewood, New Jersey, you can see my play, Guilty Pleasures, at the Black Box Theater. Tickets are available there, too. And uh, if you want to email me, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com, that's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com, you can also uh, get in touch with me by checking out and following my Instagram account, Hollywood and Levine, where you can see some of my cartoons. Thanks again to you guys for listening, and we will see you again next week. Bye. Hollywood and Levine. <laughs>